I wonder if you've ever had a moment where you're having a very uh, enthusiastic conversation, uh, you're sharing something you're really passionate about, and uh, as you're uh, kind of getting more and more excited about the thing you're sharing about it, you realise you've kind of failed to read the room, and uh, the people you're talking about are kind of squirming awkwardly. Never! Wow! You can give us tips, Ruth. Uh, and uh, you're... you're uh, the people are not sort of receiving the thing as enthusiastically and you sort of realise you might need to dial down the passion and start to try and convince people that uh, they should care about what you're talking about. Or uh, perhaps you've had something similar happen uh, more likely if you've got Facebook on a Facebook post. Uh, I remember uh, when the, the last time we did the census, so not the time just gone, but about five years ago, uh, I put up a little innocuous post, or so I thought, uh, about um, how smart I was. You might remember that five years ago was the first time you could do the census online. And uh, I happened to do it a little earlier on the Tuesday, but uh, later that night, it crashed. And everyone was on Facebook writing about how stupid the government was for uh, making the census webpage crash. And so I decided that I'd put something about how if the census is about collecting data, then the data it's collected on me today is that I'm smarter than the average person because I did the census earlier than everyone else. Which was clearly a joke, right? But I posted it mid-Tuesday night uh, in the midst of uh, many of my friends' pure frustrations, and so I received uh, back tenfold uh, of what I did not deserve. Well, not everyone has the time to... You arrogant... Whoa, calm down. I was just trying to make light of a, of a bad situation. Oh, dear. Well, Paul is an outsider to the church at Rome. And as we've seen uh, over the last year on and off... This letter to the book of uh, the, this letter to the church in Rome is a masterful uh, piece of literature. It outlines the the power and the wonder of the gospel. It outlines the love of God made known in Jesus Christ, and it outlines how this gospel is bringing people together, Jew and Gentile, under the one true God. Paul uh, is an outsider. He's written this masterful letter. Uh, and he's told them how to apply it, unless they think that uh, he's got some sort of uh, problem with them, though he's never met them, uh, as he's now sort of getting to his concluding remarks, we can feel that he's sort of uh, having that moment where he's just sort of checking to make sure that they, they don't um, take things the wrong way. Have a look, verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Paul has written this letter. He's, he's sort of reminding them. He's uh, almost hedging his bets a little bit at this point. Not, not because he thought they needed their theology fixed, not because he thought they needed uh, to fix their terrible, ungodly ways, but because he shares this gospel partnership with them and he wants to introduce himself and show to them this, this true partnership they have in the gospel. He wants to come and minister to them. 
and he outlines the nature of, of the ministry he's had and, and the ministry he hopes to have when he gets to them as he rounds uh, out uh, his letter before chapter 16, which we've already done. And he, he talks about his priestly, powerful and pioneering ministry. Have a look at verses 16 and 17. Paul's priestly ministry. He says, uh, I, Paul, to be a minister of Christ, of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Paul's ministry is of telling the Gentiles about Jesus and it's a priestly ministry in the sense that through his proclamation of the gospel, the Gentiles, those whom God has called him to go and uh, preach the gospel to, become an offering to God as they respond to this gospel in faith. As Paul proclaims the gospel and as people respond, their, their, their response in faith becomes like this sacrifice uh, to God, just as he calls all of us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we see that this priestly ministry uh, calls people uh, to uh, worship, it brings people into worship. As Paul goes and he does this priestly ministry of proclamation, it, it, it brings people into worship. And as John Stott says and reflects on the nature of this ministry, he says, when we worship God, glorifying his holy name, we are driven out to proclaim his name to the world. And when, through our witness, people are brought to Christ, we then offer them to God. Further, they themselves join in his worship until they too go out to witness. Thus, worship leads to witness and witness to worship. It is a perpetual cycle. This ministry of offering uh, uh, those who respond to the gospel to God uh, and bringing them in uh, to the worship of God. It, it is a priestly ministry, proclamation and worship. Or as uh, John Stock, because he's a better preacher than me, worship and witness. They go together. And they ought to go together for us as well. It's not enough simply to come to church every Sunday and just continually worship. Our worship or to compel us into witness, compel us into proclaiming the, uh, uh, the, the truths about the God whom we worship. Proclaiming the gospel. And it's easy to think in our world that the gospel is uh, silly and, and meaningless and no one cares about it. But it really does matter. Yesterday, we uh, had a memorial service here for a long-time uh, parishioner named Shirley. And I was able to share at that uh, service about how uh, when I spoke to her in the nursing home, we had a wonderful conversation about the gospel. We talked about how though she'd lived a long life and though she'd done lots of good things and lots of bad things, that when it came to the final day, when it came to 
her death and her coming before the Lord, it wasn't going to be a balancing act of good versus bad. It was going to be, have you responded to my offer, my gift of grace in Jesus Christ? And as I shared with her the gospel, a gospel I'm sure she'd heard many times, she said, uh, and I remember it very vividly, isn't that marvellous? When, when, when she understood afresh that the ministry of the gospel was about grace and that she could be accepted through faith in Jesus Christ and her life uh, deeds were not what was going to earn her salvation but it was a free gift from God. This gospel that Paul has been preaching to the Roman church, isn't that marvellous? And that marvellous news leads us to worship. We praise God together. Death comes to us all. The gospel is the only good news in the face of death. And the God we worship is the God of life. And so we ought to go with our life-giving gospel to the world to witness to people about this good news and to bring them in to worship. So Paul's ministry was this priestly ministry of proclaiming the gospel uh, and bringing uh, people through the power of the Spirit to faith. Paul's ministry was also powerful, verses 18 and 19. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. As Paul has gone around and proclaimed the gospel, Jesus has been working powerfully through him to cause many to come to faith, to cause the Gentiles to come to faith. And not only that, to cause them to obey God. We see here in this priestly ministry of proclamation and now this powerful ministry of people submitting their lives to God that the fruit of faith is obedience. The fruit of faith is obedience. It wasn't enough for the Gentiles simply to believe. They, they submitted their lives to God. They obeyed God. Paul has been used by God to bring about this faith and obedience. They go together. And notice that as Paul speaks of his ministry, he speaks not of it as his own, but simply as of being a vessel through which God has worked. He only spoke of what Christ has done through him. We uh, sing a song at the end of the service today and we've sung it many times, yet not I but Christ in me. How easy it would be for the Apostle Paul to make his ministry all about him. Look what I've done, look at the shipwrecks I've, I've been on for God's mission, look at the churches I've planted, uh, look at the, the, the battle scars I have. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And yet, he knows, yet not I, but Christ in me. Christ has accomplished this through him. That's what's made it powerful, and that's what will make our witness powerful. 
allowing God to use us. Well, finally, Paul talks about how his ministry has been pioneering in the second half of verse 19 through to 22. From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I should know how to say that by now, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the, power, the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. We know from the book of Acts, Paul uh, spent uh, at least 10 years uh, on a number of missionary journeys, uh, travelling around much of the eastern Mediterranean, preaching the word, planning churches, raising up leaders. Paul, it seems, had a strategy where he would go to the more populous cities of the region. He would go into these places, he would plant churches there, he would help them grow, he would leave others to uh, then spread the gospel out into the surrounding uh, towns and villages. But his ministry was one that went to the unreached places. I think I've told this story a couple of times, so forgive me if you've heard it before. But uh, when I was in Cambodia, we drove through villages. And as we drove through, Abraham would say to me, there is no gospel here. We get to the next village, there is no gospel here. One day I hope to get here. And uh, we were on the way to a river, uh, the Mekong River, to have a look at a, a waterfall and to do some baptisms. And... I remember thinking to myself, maybe the baptisms can wait. Maybe we just need to stop the car and uh, get out and tell people about Jesus. But of course, he was a bit more strategic than I was, uh, taking the long-term gain. I just think I wanted the cool experience. This is a pioneering ministry, and we ought to pray for our pioneers because there are people everywhere who don't know Jesus. And in fact, more and more, that mission field exists here in our own community. No longer do we live in a, a, a place saturated with the stories of, of the gospel and the Bible. Many who walk our streets know nothing of Jesus and the faith. I remember once uh, getting to the point with someone where I gave them a Bible uh, for, for them to read. And I caught up with them, and the next time I said, how's, the bio, how's, how's it going? And uh, the person said to me, um, yeah, good. What's with all the numbers? Like there's big numbers and little numbers. It, all throughout the text. Like what's with that? I've never seen anything like that before. And I'm going, big numbers and little numbers, what the heck is he talking about? Oh, chapters and verses right uh just no idea never opened a uh, something that was so obvious to me i hadn't even thought to explain now by the way this is a bit of a strange book and when you open it there are numbers all through it and that you know that was a, a good example to me of the kind of uh world in which we live we too have a pioneer ministry and we need God to use us powerfully as we worship him and are sent out to witness to him just as Paul did. 
Well, Paul finishes in verses 23 to 29 by sort of outlining his travel plans. The last part of this letter, very personal. It reminds us this was a real letter written by a real guy to a real church uh, who had real plans. And he talks about his plans. He's going to go give some charity to the Jerusalem church, which has come from the Gentile church, which as we know from particularly chapters 9 to 11, this is his passion that the Jewish and Gentile church would uh, put aside their cultural differences and unite uh, in the gospel. He's going to go and do that because of the practical application that that is of bringing the unity of faith. And he then finishes by asking verses 30 to 33 for prayer. He asks that he be kept safe from persecution. Verse 31. He asks that he gets a favourable reception from the church in Jerusalem, also in verse 31. And he asks for safe travels as he goes there. And no doubt the church in Rome prayed for those things. But as we finish, because we know chapter 16, he outlines uh, many more personal touches and I, I'll put up the sermon that was preached uh, by uh, Noel uh, later, today, later this week on the, on the website. But Romans is uh, not just a personal letter, it is a book for today. It's a book which so clearly outlines the power of the gospel and its relevance for us today. Way back in chapter 1, We read, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. This is the truth of the gospel. The salvation that comes to all of us through faith. It is a gospel that overcomes our biggest problem, sin, which leads to death. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the solution, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the book of Romans majors on this solution. Romans 5 verse 10, If we were God's enemies, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? All of us are sinners in need of salvation. All of us are guilty. And yet God loves us so much that he sent Jesus into the world to die for us. It's a book that's reminded us of the simplicity of salvation for us. It is a gift from God. And all we need to do, Romans 10 verse 9, is simply confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. And it is a gospel that produces a transformed life. Romans 12 verse 1, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, in view of that gospel, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Friends, that is the gospel, the saving grace of God for sinners like me and you. It is the best news ever because it means though we deserve death, yet we receive life. And it is the only way which we can live the kind of transformed, cruciform life that God calls us to by the power of his spirit. Let me encourage you to build your life on this gospel. For it is the true gospel. It is the gospel that brings life. It is the gospel that brings unity. It is the gospel that transforms everything. And as we proclaim it, and as we worship the God who's done it all for us, we'll see our own lives and the lives of our friends and families transformed. Let me finish with the words Paul uses at the very end of his book, chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.